0: Welcome to the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina Justison, founder of PrisonCare.org, equipping compassionate people to support the often invisible people groups who make up a prison neighborhood the inmate residents, correctional officers, staff, administration, and the families of all these folks. Join me for this week's episode and be encouraged to think, care, and respond as we explore the challenges facing prison neighborhoods everywhere. Let's support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters. Ready to meet Dylan? Let's jump right into the interview. Totally be yourself, totally be comfortable. This is your time to talk, and we want to listen and encourage you, but you do not have to share it. Anything that you don't feel like sharing, and you don't have to sound like anybody other than you right now. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Mm. Yeah. All right. This is a really cool first for the Prison Care Podcast, because we are getting to talk to a new friend on the inside today. And today we're talking with Dylan, who has agreed to share some of his experience on the inside in an effort to help us on the outside, learn how to support and how to be connected in positive ways. And um, Dylan is somebody that I have had the chance to develop a relationship with through letters and such over the last couple of years. And he is wonderful. And I wish we could just hang out. And because he's in the same facility as Jay, I don't get to be on two people's visitor lists. So at this point, I um, I, I make do the best I can with uh, with letters and with a little phone time. But I'm also recording today with Kim, who is Community Director for Prison Care. And she also has been forming a friendship with Dylan over the last couple of years. So we just figured we would all get together and talk a little bit. You bet. All right. So Dylan, how do you want to start this? What, oh, and there oh, may be occasional barks from Finley in the background. She's a seeing eye puppy that... Um, that lives here. So if she joins the conversation, just let her talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she, she doesn't usually talk long. <laughs> All right. So, Dylan, tell us whatever you want to tell us about yourself.
1: Um, I mean, there's,
0: I don't know. Uh, <laughs> the basics, I guess. Um, I'm 23. I've been in prison for uh, four years now. I was in the county for a year before that.
1: So I've been incarcerated since 18. Um, that's not really who I am. That's more where I've been for the last five years. Uh, but, uh, so I grew up, uh, you know, in and out of foster care for the first part of my life. I've been adopted. Um, and, yeah, I mean, uh, right now I've been really into music and that's been a great therapy for me. Uh, working with people like Jay and other friends um, in here to kind of become more of a person, uh, more of a a fulfilled person, I guess. Um, Yeah, that's my main main thing. Uh, I just started the dog program with Jay um, as well.
0: We haven't talked much about the dog program on the podcast before, but tell us a little bit about you're just now Uh, getting started with that, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I started maybe a month and a half ago. Um, it's through the organization uh, K9 Compan- Companions for Independence, and they uh, have a puppy raiser program um, throughout uh, the nation um, in homes and other prisons and stuff. But they take uh, they take dogs, and um, as far as what we do, uh, we're part of that puppy raiser program teach them the basic obedience commands that will get them kind of prepared to do the more advanced things. Um, so when they go on to become service dogs, they they have the foundation laid for uh, the more advanced training. So we teach, you know, uh, the basic sit-down uh, commands, heel. they get to learn to walk with people and interact with people in a in a kind of professional way. Um, and... Uh,
0: they're with you guys all the time, right? Like they're living in the pod with you. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. they live. Uh, if you have a dog, they live in the cell with you.
0: Oh, wow. Um, so you're, you get a, a level of
1: the dog to get a level of training that um, I'm certain. They don't get really anywhere else. Um, Cause there's like 24 uh, seven training with them pretty much.
0: Right. Um, That's so cool. And, uh, yeah. That is so cool. So you play music too, right? You're in a music incentive pod. Yep. What do you play? What do you play? What do you sing? Uh, what do you do?
1: A little bit of everything, um, but mostly, uh, mostly guitar.
0: Okay. Did you play before you were incarcerated or did you start learning after you went down?
1: Uh, I played, but not well. Um, <laughs> I uh, I started out when I was, like 11, I think, playing French horn um, in, in bands uh, in middle school, and then moved on to trumpet and playing in jazz bands and stuff like that. How uh, cool. I picked up guitar probably around the same time, around 11 or 12, um, but never got serious about it, never practiced, always been self-taught, never had any lessons, and it really showed. Uh, <laughs> so when I, when I came to prison, um, it gave me the opportunity... Um, to well, when I came to the the music incentive it gave me the opportunity to really focus and kind of figure out um, and I'm still in the process of figuring out who I am like musically, but uh, I've gotten worlds better at guitar. Uh, because there's there's no way in the, in the world I would have spent you know hours a day practicing. Scales and all the terrible stuff that no one wants to practice. <laughs> um, but in, in here, it's it's given me that that opportunity. I've been lucky to to be with uh, people like Jay and others who um, were better musicians than me and helped inspire me to to get on their level, um, so I could keep up. Honestly, that that's where it started. I just wanted to join the band, and I I had to had to learn.
0: Right. That's awesome. That's a great starting place. And then over time, it's kind of grown beyond just, I want to keep up with the band and play music, and you've had the chance to make friends and grow some relationships, right?
1: Yeah, Um, I think the first time, uh, coming, developing friendships and stuff has always been difficult for me. I have a hard time connecting with people, and, Kind of always had this mindset where uh, like I can't afford to get in school because it makes it hard to like drop ties and move on, and that's a very like fatalistic way of viewing relationships with people. But mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't always conscious. It was it was just this feeling I had. So I working through that, uh, it was almost a, a full regression when I came to prison. Um, it's almost more so. You have to cut uh, ties with people because not there's very few people in here that are, are healthy to be in, in close friendships with. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, like the first time I started hanging out with with Jay, um, I was just trying to get some like workout advice. Honestly, hmm. uh, it was right after um, COVID kind of hit but before it got serious and they started like locking us down and stuff. Um, so it was like the very, very beginning and he is just working out and I like asked for some tips and we started working out together and that's, that's really how it started. Um, and I'd seen him around uh, in the gym because uh, they have a music program in the gym that's now shut down. Um, I'd seen him before in there uh, and... We started talking about music and stuff, too. Um, and he and someone else got involved in the band
0: and, and made it, you know, something to be proud of. And so I wanted to be a part of that, too. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's, nice. that's where it all started. That's so cool. That is so cool. You mentioned that you were um, thrown into the foster system when you were really young, that that makes relationships complicated, which I don't think would be a surprise to anybody who hears that. Um, But now you're trying to deal with relationships in prison. And you talked about there aren't necessarily a million people that it would be healthy to be in relationship (laughs) with. How do you determine who you want to reach out to? How do you, how do you figure all that out? Um, Well, I don't,
1: I don't know if you ever really figured out fully. Uh, I mean, it's, it's just like any, you know, anywhere, uh, when you're trying to connect with someone, you have to set boundaries and, and like respect each other and stuff like that. Um, that's, you know, crucial. Yeah. So here it's like, you have to take it a step further because, um, I don't want people to get this, this idea that everyone in prison is manipulative and uh, you know, looking to get something out of you because that's not the case. But there are, uh, again, just like anywhere else, people that have uh, that don't have the ability to to respect your boundaries and who don't even have um, the capability to really respect themselves, and, and that, mm. that affects how they interact with anyone. Um, so at the same time. You can't necessarily choose who you're around all the time, um, right. so you have to figure out a way to be cordial and make acquaintances and be friendly with people without being disingenuous um, or rude. Uh, but at a certain point, yeah, you have to set. You can't let most people in that close um, because most people just aren't really worth having around mm. at that you know level of. Uh, friendship. Um, so finding you're walking a razor edge the whole time, but um, it's it's worth being vigilant and uh, uh, like watching out for yourself because in the in the future the, the decisions you make now uh, in regards to who you're around can really affect your future um, positively or negatively. So
0: yeah. Um, Dylan, you sound really wise for 23. (laughs) (laughs) You do. And we're going to pause our conversation with Dylan there and pick up some more time with him on the next episode of the podcast. There are a few things that I just wanted to explain a bit that Dylan referred to in this early part of the interview that might not be familiar to you or uh, might sound like something that's actually not. So, let's just give a little bit of clarification and context here. First of all, Dylan lives in a music incentive pod, so does Jay. And what that means is that within a lot of the prison facilities, there are housing units that are set aside for incentive purposes. And if you go a full year without any behavior write-up, there are a limited number of cells in that housing unit. And when spaces become available, if your name is on the waiting list, and if you have a clean record, as far as behavioral incidents, then you're given the chance to move into that housing unit. You don't get to pick your cellmate or anything, but you are moved into an area of the prison where there are, in this case, a 100 guys, all of whom want to keep their record clean, because they don't want to get kicked out of the incentive pod. There are a few perks when you live in there. There's a little bit nicer furniture. There's a couch that has upholstery on it instead of only plastic and metal chairs and benches. Their uh, main perk there is because they're labeled as a music pod. A lot of the people who live there are musicians. And because of grant money that was made available to their facility, they have purchased a whole bunch of really nice quality uh, musical instruments and recording equipment. And they have a music room and a band room. And there are paraprofessionals. Those are resident inmates who have been given the job of overseeing the music room and the band room. They have a library system for checking out instruments. They have set hours that the music room is staffed every day by the pros. And it's a it's a really good system. It allows people to schedule music lessons, if they have the ability to play an instrument or um, in Jay's case, he's also given voice lessons for people who want to work on their singing. And so you can, you can schedule time to offer lessons within this designated space. You can schedule band practices if you find other people that you would like to play with. And Dylan mentioned that that he plays in a band with Jay. And um that's played with a couple of other guys as well. And then you can also check out instruments and take them back to your cell with you. And so that's where you get this chance to, as Dylan mentioned, to practice scales all day long, all the things that nobody actually wants to practice that are necessary if you're going to become a better musician. If you're listening to this and getting the impression that this is a super cushy life, it's not. (laughs) It's awkward because when we discuss specific program in a specific facility. There are often many really good things about that program. Unfortunately, at the facility where Jay and Dylan live, this music incentive pod is one of the only programs. There's so little in terms of um, programming of any kind, really, Um, vocational skill training, and fine arts, and sports and athletic stuff. And then even GED, and um, college classes, anything like that, right down to self help groups, um, things to better yourself to do the work that we really want incarcerated people doing. And then um, there's very little in the way of mental health programming, Addictions, treatment, sex offenders, um, programming, that is part of their mandated sentence, even. There's just so little actually available within that facility. And it's not unique to them. They are a private facility, not a DOC. And typically, the private facilities offer very little in terms of programming, because they're for profit, and it costs a lot of money. To offer a wide variety of programs. So instead, they'll pick a couple. They will find grant money for those very specific areas of programming. And they'll have those wonderful spots of brightness here and here that are only available to 30 or 50 or 100 guys in a facility that's close to 2,000 beds. But um, that will be all that they offer. And so you either get a spot in one of those or you have almost nothing in terms of support as you work on getting your life together and becoming someone who is going to be able to function and succeed and thrive when you are a returning citizen. So it's really complicated. When I first learned about the music program there, I was blown away by the quality of equipment that they had. But then I came to understand that, oh, They were given grant money for a specific program. All of the money had to be used. It had to be used within a certain amount of time. And so it has decked out their music room and their band room in beautiful ways. And that's certainly been a great thing for Jay, who is highly musical, and Dylan, for whom music has been healing, as he said. But there are actually a surprising number of guys living in the music pod who are not musical at all. They applied because they wanted to get out of general population and be in an incentive area where the violent incidents were significantly less. In particular, people who have a sentence that labels them a sex offender, which we'll discuss this in a future episode, but that's a very broad category when you're talking about the legal designation. But there are people who have... um, a conviction that legally labels them as a sex offender, even if their crime was nothing like what you would be imagining when you hear that term. And they are typically targets in general population. They are the bottom of the pecking order or whatever, and they are frequently victims. So if they are able to get a placement in an incentive pod, they're much physically safer because the people who might want to rough them up in general population. If they're living in the incentive pod, they don't want to lose their own placement there. So it tends to be a haven for people who feel particularly vulnerable. And um, perhaps as much as a third to one half of the 100 people who live in the incentive pod at this facility, don't even consider themselves particularly interested in music, but they're there because it's safer. So it's really complicated. And um, I just wanted to bring a little bit of, of clarity to that. I also want to close out this episode with a little bit of information about what Dylan referred to in his own story of being placed in the foster system at a very young age, spending a lot of time in foster homes before eventually being adopted. And the statistics showing the connection between the foster care system and the criminal justice system are so very sad. We need to do better the foster system is not doing for children what it needs to be doing. And I have no idea what the answers are for that. That's an entirely different area of discipline. And I, I know next to nothing. So I would just humbly as a human being and a citizen say, wow, I hope we can figure out a better way to take care of kids who cannot safely be left with their birth parents. Um, Because the statistics indicate that one out of four kids coming out of the foster system, foster care alumni, one out of four will become a part of the criminal justice system within two years of exiting foster care. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Kids growing up in the foster care system who age out at 18. One out of four of those kids will be in court, will be arrested, will be in county jail within two years. That's just really sad. In addition, kids who have been placed in a group home instead of with individual foster parents, kids who have spent time in a group home are 2.5 times more likely to end up in the criminal justice system than those who are not in a group home. And finally, For children who have lived through five or more foster care placements, those kids, 90% of them, will end up in the criminal justice system. It's really sad, and it's not good enough, and I hope that we can find a way to get what children need when they're young. And they go through the trauma that leads them to be placed in the care of the state in the first place that's already a traumatized child. And clearly the system is not providing them with the healing that they need. Something to think about. All right, with that, we're going to wrap up this episode. I want to thank you for caring enough to want to meet Dylan. I want to thank you for listening to his story and for looking forward to the next part of his story. In this one, we talked a lot about him learning to form relationships on the inside. And in the follow up episode, we are going to talk with him about maintaining and building new relationships with people on the outside, while he's incarcerated. And we're going to talk very specifically about what the prison care pen pal encourager model has been like for him. He's going to teach me a few things that I need to learn from somebody on the inside, who experienced uh, this sudden influx of mail from strangers, and what that really felt like for him. And there's some cool things that I got to learn from talking with him about that. And then we're going to talk about the magic of finding the one thing. And I'm just going to leave that all suspenseful and let you wonder what that's going to be about so that you'll be eagerly looking forward to next week's episode. If prison care is new to you, I really encourage you to visit our website at prisoncare.org. You can learn so much there about what we're doing and about how you can become involved. You can give financially. We have a link there to our donations portal through PayPal. And we are delighted to see so many of you offering your support. Um, It's making it possible for this endeavor to grow more quickly than I had imagined it would be able to. And that is just so exciting that people are catching the vision. And they're saying, wow, I had never thought about prisons before. And now that I'm thinking about it, I want to be a part of prison reform from the ground up on a grassroots level, on a person to person level, on a small compassion team adopting one prison facility level. And it's so exciting to me that you all are catching that vision, and you're beginning to run with it. You know, the dream is to see every single prison adopted by a compassion team. That's the dream. Every prison needs a group of compassionate people on the outside, who are looking for practical, simple, manageable, sustainable ways to offer support, so that their culture inside the prison neighborhood becomes just a little bit less negative. It can happen. It really can. And it's going to happen because of people like you who are listening to the Prison Care Podcast. So as always, I'm going to finish out this episode by saying what I truly mean from my heart. Thank you for caring. Thanks for listening to the Prison Care Podcast. Be sure to visit us at prisoncare.org prison care. Equipping compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside because everyone on the inside matters.